On today's episode of the Mocha Live podcast, Colborn and I absolutely go in talking about the death of PFP projects. This is a pod that does admittedly kind of revolve around Scheidenfreude, but it's also a diagnostic conversation. What went wrong with PFPs? Or, I don't know, maybe the better question is, what was wrong with PFPs this entire time? A lot of rabid and sudden economic assertions in this podcast, so please... If you are well-versed in economics and take issue with anything we're saying, we would love to hear about it. Hit us up and give us the business. It'll be really interesting to see how this podcast ages in the coming months. For our sake, hopefully it ages well. But for the sake of all these PFP holders with substantial investments in this most unique of asset classes, I must say, I kind of hope it ages poorly. But I don't think it will. And on that note, let's hit it. Please enjoy the Mocha Live podcast. Good evening, everybody. It is five o'clock PM EST here in New York City. My name is Max Cohen. I'm the lead writer for the Museum of Crypto Art. This is the Mocha Live podcast. And joining me as he does every week, unfortunately not from the same place that I am in this week, Colborn Bell, founder of the Museum of Crypto Art and all-around great guy. What is up, Colborn? What's up, everybody? It's great to be here, Max. It was a pleasure. Likewise. Um, so I said it was 5 o'clock when we started. It is now 5.01 p.m. EST. It is Wednesday, June 28th, and we're calling it. Time of death, 5.01 p.m., <laughs> PFPs are dead. That's what we're talking about today. The big dead. The, the big day. It's finally, fine. yeah, big dead, big day for being dead. Um, it's a day I think a lot of people have either very loudly or very quietly been waiting for. But um, I think yesterday's events with Azuki and the recent kind of free fall of Bored Apes has kind of shown everybody who wasn't paying attention before that the business model of the PFP world is pretty uh, pretty rough uh, when it's stretched out to this distance um, of a couple of years. And this is something that, that we've talked about, right? Like, it's just, where does it go, right? Where does it go? Where, where does the dilution stop? Where do people stop picking up the bag and realize they're the greater fool? Like, who is getting, who is going to, pick up the slack and decide that suddenly they want to come into this community. Right. And first, I think the first thing we touched on is just like a culture problem, right? Web three was meant to be like inclusive, accessible, and people started throwing up these gates around like you need this to be in here so you can get into this sick party. So you can buy whatever $400 shoes and like a $200 hoodie. So did it like ever make sense? You know, I, I remember people at like NFT NYC being so stoked to go to like the Bored Ape Yacht Club party where they could go see like Eminem and Snoop Dogg. And, but obviously that's not sustainable, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to feed short-term hype, but you can't go put on like 20. And, you know, Eminem did sell his Bored Ape. No, allegedly. But yeah, it's certainly, I mean, I think the issue is that people, I think forever, myself included, when we talked about PFP projects, especially to the public, when I was in my like 
PFP hype phase uh, pre-crypto art, the same justification was always used, which is, oh, what do you mean this asset doesn't have any value? No assets have value. It's all cultural capital. But cultural capital is fleeting. You said that last week, and it's true. Cultural capital is fleeting. And pretty much every other place where you see cultural capital being utilized by a company, whether that's Nike with you know expensive sneakers or classic cars or expensive sports cars, that's an addendum to a larger business model. It is a side gig for an actual product. It's, it's, it's got to mean something. That good has to mean something. Like when I see a bored ape on the Twitter timeline, it's either like a bot right? Or it's a, or it's a scammer or it's something that's been appropriated and put on something new that, that people used to like manipulate and trick other people. Like that's, that's just what I see. So when I see that image now, I'm like, this is not. And you know, that's because it was a luxury asset and then it was reproducible. Um, but nobody really but it's cared. A, it's a luxury like, asset, but it's a, it's a luxury asset where the, the value of it was the value of it. It was not the value of it with you know some second thing right the value of being seen in a nice porsche or the value of being seen with a uh louis vuitton handbag right the value of having a bored ape was owning a valuable asset yeah i mean the it goes back to whoever that guy was something asaurus yield asaurus who was like don't even talk to me unless you have a pfp over 100k like you're all losers that live in your mama's basement it was it was that attitude incarnate, and that was like never what this was about. But in a business sense, like you only have one option when your whole business model is creating more quote unquote value for your holders. You can either dilute with more assets because you also need money and you're trying to raise money, or you can try and build up the value of these assets. But we haven't seen any good way that digital assets, other than like long-term artistic or identification other than that model where like artists have built their career over a long period of time none of this stuff has proven sustainable um i made a quick list of all of the board ape yacht club assets that they've split into and there were of course the board apes then there was the mutant apes and there was the kennel club dogs and there was the other deeds and the sewer pass stuff and then there were like i think robots and all sorts of other stuff in this other deeds world which is now like it has a separate Twitter page. It's a separate everything. And they did this like stupid generative ordinal drop. Um, <laughs> it was very clearly a money grab and everybody knew it at the time. But you just keep diluting and diluting and diluting and diluting because the only way theoretically to create value for your holders is to drop them more assets. But with each time you do that, it's going to dilute not only the value of the airdrops that you're doing, it's going to dilute the value of the original assets. And so nobody's going to be happy. Nobody's going to be happy. They're going to want to sell because some people are selling, the price will go down. And when the only point of owning that asset is to have a valuable asset, everyone else is going to want to throw it down as well because it's losing the value that uh, at what I was referring to earlier with Mizuki. Yeah. Dropped their 20,000 elemental piece collection yesterday to a lot of hate and disappointment because the art was no, shit all, was all it served hilarious hot garbage we came up with this topic for the pod before that even happened it was like it fell right into our laps uh it, like let's go back and analyze some of this it, it almost seems as well that the worse that they fuck it up the more attention they get the 
So they're almost like perverse incentives to do that, right? Because also if people, if I'm sure not everybody is like bypassing secondary sale royalties, right? If people are dumping, you know who still makes money at the end of the day on those secondary sales is the company itself, right? So they're almost incentivized to just like put on this roller coaster for people, right? Because they want people in and out. They want people trading. Like it all goes back to like the, the identity formation in the beginning, right? If the identity is that like everybody will come together and like hold these things and these things will go up, uh, then just as quickly as it does that and people get excited about that, well, they, they turn the corner because they were only there for the money to begin with, right? So you kind of look at more of the organically formed communities, whether it's like CryptoPunks, for me, that you can't like touch that, right? Like that's first. It doesn't really matter that Yuga Labs owns it, right? They're being put in museums. They're iconic at this point, almost on like an untouchable level. I don't feel that way about Bored Apes because there's no staying power in that, like the longevity of that asset or like take something like Nouns, right? Which continues to do their auction every day and one by one, like, it's, it's exciting to bring new people in and expand the ecosystem. And suddenly there is like a, whatever it is now, $55 million treasury on which each person that owns a noun can vote on that. And that's like organic. And there is kind of like an upside that if Ethereum goes up, then there's this larger treasury to do more things. And, you know, people make proposals about how to build IP. So that is really, you know, decentralized in the way it's constructed as opposed to, something that was centralized that might be fueled by like celebrity culture or marketing gimmicks or kind of inorganically spreading it into the masses. So uh, on the Board Ape Yacht Club website, their kind of elevator pitch, which is very corporate speaky, sounds like to me, is, quote, shaping Web3 through storytelling, experiences and community. And that's just all meaningless uh, to me, right? Those are all buzzwords. And like, I don't know. When I think about the storytelling of Board Apes, I mean, you must be familiar with like that map they put out years ago. Uh, it feels like years ago at this point, it was like a board game map of like all the things they were going to do, a drop and then a, some kind of an event. And that feels very unsustainable in the way that Marvel is unsustainable. And we're seeing that all these superhero movies are unsustainable because to continue the story, you have to make it more and more inaccessible to outsiders. It has to go further, further down to the silo and the funnel of the own story. So that as its own paradigm is inherently flawed. Experiences is ridiculous because like you said at the beginning, these parties and these metaverse events are like great in theory, but I mean, you, at a certain point, you don't just want to go see an artist who you care somewhat about with a bunch of people who aren't your friends um, in a warehouse somewhere. That's fun when you're a kid. It's fun when you're, you know, maybe the first or second time. But when that's the value, when that's you know one of the three tenets of the value that is being given to you, I don't see how that's going to sustain a desire to own these assets in the long term, especially because the more and more dilution you see, the more and more people have to be invited to these events, the more and more exclusive it's going to become. So you see some PFP projects try and maintain that exclusivity by saying, okay, well, now it's not every ape gets into this party, it's a raffle. And then right, you just have people right. who are upset, like what we saw with Azuki's yesterday, where it was like a 10-minute holder mint for holders, and then some holders didn't get to mint anything. In hindsight, they're probably glad they didn't get to mint anything. But the more and more people you're bringing in, the more and more people you have to then satiate thereafter. 
And because of that, your tech needs to be doubly, triply as good. It needs to be able to handle more and more traffic. It needs to be everything across the board needs to be more advanced. And then community, well, like you've been saying, what is the community when the community is just based on a perception of its own value? I, I, I want to go back to that example of like expensive cars. You go to a car show and it's not people talking about how valuable their cars are. It's where they've gone with their cars. It's the engines that they put in. It's you know looking at them and saying, oh, that's beautiful. And having these like communal spaces to share their own stories, not share the one story that is like in the centerpiece of their collection it's for all of them to bring their own histories and their own experiences into the thing and that feels like it's completely absent from the pfp meta at this point i'll just add like a little side note you know i was in i was in paris for nft paris and was kind of walking by and like stumbled upon the punk's brunch and it's you know a punk right donated a punk to the museum it's like a fucking bummer when you can't go to where the party you're supposed to be at is because it's like too full. Right. So that's mm-hmm. also a bit of a sour taste. It's like, well, you know, if you have the thing that's supposed to get you there. Right. But they don't even let you in. What is that's like not really too fun either. Let me pick your brain for a second. I'm curious. Like, so what do you see as the value of CryptoPunks, because I do believe it's different than all of these other PFPs that have come after it. There's something yeah. about CryptoPunks that feels a little bit more tangible in terms of the value it's bringing. So in your opinion, what do you see there? I mean, it's just the, the right fucking ethos, right? It's a 2017 project that really speaks to like the vision and values of the people at the time, right? This crypto at the end of the day is a very anti-authoritarian punk movement. Right. And it might not know exactly where it wants to go, but at the end of the day, it knows that it wants to fuck shit up and kind of change the world in some way. Right. So it's always going to carry this spirit, which is a spirit that lives in here, which is also for me, like the spirit of crypto art. It doesn't necessarily need direction, but there needs to be more like rebellion. There needs to be more openness and desire to propose different solutions um, especially in worlds that are dominated by like tech and code. I mean, it's also, they minted for free. So you have a contingent yeah. of people that never have to sell, no matter how theoretically low the price gets, because they don't have an initial investment in it. You have people who bought it after the fact, but even so, like a lot of these punks were changing hands for, you know, a thousand dollars or so, hundreds of dollars in 2019 and 2020 before the boom. There wasn't this investment of tens of thousands of dollars, right? People watching the chart of a board ape and saying, okay, well, when it gets to 36 ETH, now I am in the, in the red. So I got to sell it when it gets to 38, which I feel like is kind of a encapsulation of the story as it goes further and further down. We're seeing people who got in at higher and higher prices sell first. I mean, call it, call it a fair launch, right? Like Bitcoin was a fair launch. It's, it's just released. It's out there. Anybody can go in, claim it. And those projects always, they, they do much better, right? Like go back to, I, I know you wrote down uh, what Gremlin did with Cryptodes, right? That, for me, that's, that's, you know, no roadmap, no utility. Like I was in that Discord. It was fun to hit like exclamation, par, exclamation point vibe and then like see all the frogs pop up and... <laughs> You know, there there was a there was a vibe about it, but with no expectations is is the best way. Like CCO it, no expectations, send it out there, let people do what they want. 
It's the only way. It's yeah, the only definitely. way because all of these companies, all of these centralized entities are going to suffer from massive bloat. And when you have massive bloat within an organization, you cannot sustain the volatility of crypto cycles. So you just do not survive. Your IP does not last. And that's what I feel like we're seeing with Azuki. It's like a, it's like the slow burn, slightly thereafter version of Board Apes, but it's the same exact paradigm. I want to, even if the mint went perfectly smooth, right? Even if the art was really original, it's the same exact paradigm because you're introducing after Azuki and after their beans airdrop. And now after this next sale, you're just diluting and diluting and diluting the market further by saying, okay, you want an Azuki, you can get in at this price point or this price point. Now you're inviting more people in and it becomes harder to have those experiences. And all of those people, this added 20,000 person contingent, they're also going to expect you to create value for them. And the only way to create value for them is either to sustain hype somehow through means that I don't believe have really been forged yet or to continue to dilute, continue to airdrop things, continue to give free money or the opportunity of free money. And we're just seeing en masse that that is no longer enough. Um, like what is the value to add here of an Azuki? It's anime aesthetics. Anime is cool. People like anime, but I don't understand what they're offering people as a reason to remain in the community, but some hope that these teams will take care of them. And it's just an amazing amount of money that they're able to raise. And I think with every you know, two ETH is not a small mint price. The, the, the more and more money raised, the harder and harder with each of these projects it takes to justify its own existence. So the, these cycles have no choice but to build on themselves. And the pain of the holders is going to build on themselves and build on themselves. So it seems like this is just the natural conclusion of all of these things, of conglomerate as much money as possible. And then what are you left with? You're left with assets that you really can't you're you're stuck in the mud with because you can't add more and you can't do anything with the assets as is and there's really no way to like drive value to the holders right even if you create the ip you like create a show the show is a huge hit you know you can't then distribute like proceeds and profits to the people that hold it because then it becomes a security right so you know these people like the idea is that they become legacy holders of this ecosystem and that people want to do it because it becomes like a self-sustaining corporation over time. I don't buy it. Right. I think the model was broken from the beginning. And I think people that came and formed these centralized entities around this asset knew it. Right. I think they wanted to just continue to rake volatility. People argue that like the, the removal of royalties was the death of these projects, but these projects were done to begin with because all of the incentives were perverse for the people that like were managing the IP. Right. So that's why if you don't have the holders manage the IP, well, then you you are the product. Right. They want you in. They want you out. Right. They want you like paying attention. They want you being mad. Right. Because at the end of the day, it just all feeds their engagement. And it becomes, again, like this this soap opera and this drama that is happening in real time. And, and, you know, and obviously, like there's the simple economics of it is like supply and demand. But I want to also call attention to like with Azuki, for instance, with this elementals drop with us, which has 20,000 pieces in it, as opposed to whatever 10,000 they began with, you're creating a caste system of your own holder base. You're saying that these people are now in uh, possession of a less valuable asset. And it's like every time, you know, when the board apes were in their, the highest point of their hype cycle, you wanted a board ape, but you didn't want them a mutant neighbor. You didn't want one of these stupid dogs because they 
didn't gen that you weren't getting the full experience. You were, you could have one and you could be in the ecosystem, but you were always second class. Um, that would be like, you know, selling shitty, you're, they're selling shittier products to people who can't spend as much money. And while that's, I think a normal business model, that's not exactly part of the advertisement, but it has to be in this circumstance. You have to be you know, offering some of this supply to your holders. You have to be telling the people who hold your original um, drop, the original project that no, 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 you guys are still our priority. You guys are better. You guys are more important. And that's just not, <laughs> oh, and then to boast that you're going to build community on top of that is uh, that's, you know, cognitive dissonance at work. I mean, look, you look at the numbers on Azuki, they've done $72 million in volume over the last seven days in which the price has literally been cut in half. If, if there's 10% royalties on that, they've made 7 million bucks in just the flip. If it's 5%, there's 3.6 million. So I don't know what percent people are paying, if they're paying royalties at all. If it's all traders in the market, well, then you're probably really fucked to begin with. Um, but but that's that's substantial, right? And driving that volatility and then it gets to a price that's low, right? And then people are attracted to go in there and kind of like lift it back up. So these the incentives are all wrong. It's just all wrong. You know, so over time, right? That is just that's just a descending wave to nothing, in my opinion. Agreed. What was the uh the board eight, the council? They were getting paid twenty thousand dollars a month to do I have no idea. Um is it the like, ape DAO thing? Yeah, there was people some been council. popping up trying to like get in there. I don't know. I, I cannot follow it, right? It's like so toxic and broken, and people just turn it into a publicity stunt for themselves, right? Yeah. So they try, everybody's trying to capture the larger spotlight, but nobody's going to do any work. Mm -hmm. And of course, all of this goes away if more and more people are interested in coming into the project, right? That's what was happening during like this crazy bull market of 2021 was the quote unquote, like capturing of new users, but it gets harder and harder to do that as the incentives fall away. Uh, and the longer that this hype cycle goes on, the more those incentives are laid bare and the more it becomes prohibitively expensive to attract new people. It makes, it's one thing to entice new people to an asset that's not worth $70,000. But as soon as you have an asset that's worth what the holders want it, to be worth, you're cutting the potential client base that would come in and provide value for those holders by magnitudes and magnitudes. I mean, we're already in a paradigm in which, you know, it's the 1% of the 1% can afford these assets. And yet there is still this call for their price to go higher, but their price can't possibly go higher because you're going to continue to cut people out of that market. The only people who do well in any of these things are the people who like claimed the board apes or claimed the crypto punks, right? Who are working or riding on the gravy train from the beginning. Anybody who invested like a large amount of money in this is just simply not understanding that there is not an audience to spend six figures on anything, let alone something that's so hard to, to quantify. You know, I, I say it every week at this point, like I did all this essay or I'm doing these essays on collectors because I'm trying to figure out why people collect crypto art. The same things that plague the larger NFT community plague crypto art. You know, it's hard to use this technology. They are assets that you can't really display anywhere. If you're looking for clout and influence, you could probably spend that money better elsewhere. And all of these collectors to a T 
were like, yeah, all those things were true, but I love the art and I believe in crypto art. There's nothing to believe in when you take the artistry out of it. You just have an asset. Uh, without any of the any of the expressive capabilities, any of the like deeper meaning, um, I want to move on to some other PFP projects that we can tear apart. Yeah, I was gonna, I was going to talk about it because because nothing is in my mind nothing is worse than Moonbird. Yeah, right. Like that that was that was really really wild. Let's talk more. I don't really I don't really know because I I just. You know, I never bought it to begin with, so I don't know what the cycles are that these people are going on. How high did Moonburst go? Like almost immediately, like 40, 50, 60 ETH, right? Now it's down to 1.6 ETH, right? They had all these exclusive art drops. They tried to reposition themselves as, you know, just like ex- expand the IP. And and suddenly, like nobody's left with any money and they're not worth anything. Mm-hmm. Right. And I kind of feel bad for a lot of the artists that got caught up in that. Right. Because and this I, this I think is going to like come back. This is going to this is going to be a major question of the future is what does it mean as like an artist to have all of your assets distributed in all these different places. Mm-hmm. Right. So they had like their proof releases and they had, you know, they would reveal they do these big reveals anything like we have to be so suspicious of anything that is like hype based where there is like, you can buy a pass ahead of time and then like reveal it. That never works out for people and, and things that are incentivized to just like churn volume. Moonbirds did 322,000 Ethereum in volume, right? That is crazy. That is crazy. On just, on just their core product. Right. So but they also did the same thing, right? They like they released their oddities or their baby moonbirds or whatever it was. And it was just continuing again to dilute the market because the first and foremost priority when you have people who are aping in at six, seven, eight, nine ETH, and that's your client base, you're going to want to lessen the damage of that economic investment as soon as humanly possible. But it's just, it's a snake that eats itself because then you have people who, let's say you have a Colborn PFP project and you, release a bunch of mini Colborns and then all the people who bought the Colborns now buy the mini Colborns or sell their mini Colborns. And they're able to recoup the value of their original Colborns. Well, all the people who bought the mini Colborns are now just going to be angry too. There's no way to sate everybody except the value continuously going up. Uh, and, and especially at this price point, it's just not sustainable. This is the price point that you need when you're dealing with 10,000 of an asset. If you're Louis Vuitton, you can sell 50 million handbags. Okay. That's a different story. But when we're dealing with, you know, the thousand, five thousand, ten thousand of these assets that are needed to maintain exclusivity within a space that's already so small, you know, only I don't know how many wallets there are in Ethereum, but it's certainly you know, five to six figures. Like that's a teeny tiny contingent of people. So if we there's a hundred thousand active wallets and you have ten thousand board apes. And 5% of people are in possession of a board ape who have an active wallet. That's just not. It's not exclusive enough, but you can't make it less exclusive because then it again dilutes the product. Um, and and go back and look at how bad like a lot of this art is, right? Like I think it was the same. I think the same people who did like art gobblers and like shame on everybody that like God. promoted art gobblers, right? Was the same people that then went and did like knock amigos, right? And just like look at how bad these things look. Yeah. And, and 
It's crazy. And obviously all of this is moot if we have a billion people come into NFTs and they're interested in these assets. But like we discussed at the very beginning of this podcast, culture is is a fad. Culture is one fad after another. And these companies, these real companies, the Web2 companies, I don't mean real like real, I mean real like physical, that are able to sustain themselves through these fads are those that are able to adjust um, and to like reshape themselves to whatever is popular. And the nature of these immutable assets is that they can't do that. You know, CryptoPunks is 16-bit, right? Or um, 8-bit rather. That's, I'm not sure it was intentional. I'm not sure it wasn't intentional, but that was a stroke of genius in and of itself. 8-bit artistry has had a, it's, it's maintained its place as culturally important for the last 25 years. And, you know, if you go play Ocarina of Time, right? The, those first 3D models, they look shitty. And if you go watch Toy Story, it looks shitty. 3D hasn't aged well. Only these like bit sprites have aged well. You know, you have like, like Moonbirds, for example, if they're giving out art, well, there's no way of knowing that that art is going to mean anything in, in however long. And if they're, you know, if Kevin Rose is a name now, who knows when Kevin Rose is going to become, you know, a laughingstock, not even through his own fault, but like, especially when you have people in power who are, who knows what all of these people are up to? Like we've seen this happen. Like the fall from grace can be swift, sudden, and irrevocable. Uh, so, yeah, I like I hear the argument that if we continue to onboard tons of new people, and there's this, you know, the legendary coming bull market brings a hundred million people into crypto. But why do they want this asset other than the fact that it was cool three years ago? If there's one thing I know from having a younger brother who's three years younger than me, I don't know anything that's cool. And yeah. like that three years is a big difference. I think like Matt and John and Larva, they, they, after they draw me bits, I think they figured it out. They're like, we can't just keep fucking doing this. Right. Because then you have like a million people in your discord. You're two people. Everybody's pissed off. Right. Everybody was excited about it. So then what is it? Then is it 40,000? Then is it 100,000? And all for the point of what? So, you know, I think they knew that they like made art and, and that probably they had to like let it go and, and no longer be the stewards. I'm reminded of um, obviously the streaming model doesn't work. That's what we're learning in real time over the, the last couple of years. And the reason there's a writer's strike uh, in the US and soon to be a, uh, an actor's strike, it's looking like is that the streaming model doesn't work and studios know this and they're not, they're basically taking those losses and pushing them down on the creatives. The streaming model doesn't work for a lot of reasons, but it's somewhat similar in a sense, right? You're bringing people on, but you need to continue to create value for them. But the more value the create for, you create for them, the more you're setting a standard for what that value is and the more you need to create going forward. The, the perfect example is The Athletic, um, which is a sports writing based website. And a couple of years ago, when The Athletic came to prominence, it was siphoning off writers from all over the sports writing world. And it was paying them incredible sums of money to come write for them. And they were doing this subscription service based model. And it was like a new paradigm for sports writing, especially as readership on ESPN was down and viewership on ESPN and Fox Sports was down. And there was kind of this crisis as it's still ongoing in the journalistic world. The Athletic, I think, just sold. Uh, but either way, like, I mean, there is no sustainable publishing model on the internet, right? And the same thing that happened to writing and publishing is, is happening to Netflix is trash, 
man. They did all of these big deals to bring on all of these classic shows that people wanted to see, whatever it was, The Office, or I don't know if they had friends or whatever it was for the longest time, right? To just bring people into the ecosystem, get their credit card information, get them on that paid model, get them to pay a dollar more each month, get them to pay $2 more, like crack down on password sharing. And and then you, you kick out the shows and then you go start to produce shows like in cheaper places that are reality based and do it more internationally. Right. And suddenly Hollywood who, who were, they were bang and was a big, they, they rug pulled them. Right. So we live yeah. in such like a globalized world that like you have to get validation with the in thing and then everything gets like expanded and pushed out. And yeah, I'm sure all the people in, in Hollywood are like livid. Sure. And, and and then and again with these like I think what we'll see in the next couple of years with these subscription model streaming services or as like taking the case of the athletic as a case study, they're going to end up selling to each other because they can't sustain themselves unless they are monopolizers of the entire market. At some point, there right. are no new users interested in being a part of your model because you've either priced out everybody who would have been uh, subscribing or you're no longer valuable in the same way. You're no longer worth your 11, 12, $13 a month. Um, or there's nobody else to subscribe to because you've got everyone to subscribe. So what do you do when you are done with growth? You know, there's only one place to go, but down. I think that's why one of the reasons I wanted to bring up the athletic was it did sell to the New York times for half a billion dollars, but that was the goal. It was not a sustainable model by design. The goal was to sure. yeah, have this arbitrage opportunity within the sports media world build value and then get out when that value was high enough. But the same thing happened, the same thing happened with vice, right? But vice went over the top. They took more VC funding than anybody. That was a super hot brand. You go back, like you look at, but like I can spend three hours straight on YouTube, watching the same vice documentaries over and over again. I don't need to like subscribe to vice or HBO or wherever they're producing new content because it's all there and it's super, super interesting. So there's no like capture mechanism when everything is being distributed and held for free. Right. And all of this, all of this is like just a a signal for what is happening in the broader art world. Right. That we're kind of like at the forefront of. I've invoked Louis Vuitton a couple of times, but it's important that when I, that everyone understands that when I say Louis Vuitton, what I mean is like, like, yes, Louis Vuitton is a part of their business, but that's a way bigger brand right now. What is it? L- LVMH. Yeah, LVMH. Because at a certain point, you have to keep expanding yourself into new luxury yeah. products, right? Like we were saying with the sports car analogy, each individual luxury product needs to be more and more siloed because you need to be able to make money away from the luxury market. The luxury market is not sustaining of itself. If you sell $10,000 dresses to everyone who can afford a $10,000 dress, well, they're going to be satisfied with the amount of dresses they have if you, you know, are oversaturated that market. So while those people are off playing with their dresses, you need to also be able to sell fancy champagne or fancy whatever, right? You need to have all these different products that you can use to be gaining profit once every other siloed part of your business has reached saturation within its individual market until the point at which that resets. But these PFP projects don't have there's, there's nothing else there. There's no secondary market for them to pull from while the PFP val- floor price value goes down. At least Board Apes is trying something with um, other side, but uh, yeah. who knows what stage of development that's in. I remember you know, there was a um, 
some kind of play test like a year ago, maybe more at that point, and then everyone was really impressed, and then it went away. So who knows where that process is? But they're just again giving NFTs out to people in the hopes that it's going to sustain this market. But we know as well as anyone that pivoting into the metaverse is difficult. <laughs> yeah, or or building it or building a game that incorporates NFTs somehow that people are going to play to what like earn coin. You know, the people are going to farm and mine. And, you know, I, I I kind of feel like that's that was like the roadmap of what Avogadji did. And at some point I was just like lost. Right. I couldn't keep up. I didn't want to be like farming land. I didn't want to be, you know, and the only thing is to pull people like deeper and deeper into into the ecosystem. But it, it's it's a road to nowhere. And then once everybody is so deep, they're kind of like shit upstream without a paddle don't know where to go, right? They, they just kind of have to like get out and then nobody wants to like take all the time to learn and get into it. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we talk all the time, like it's not, waiting for a bull market is not an effective business model, right? It's a, it's a ideal business model, but that's not promised. I mean, every year it seems people are convinced that it's gonna be the next bull market. We may never see a bull market like the one we had before. Again, these assets, are, we're probably wildly overvalued to begin with. That's another side of this that we haven't really discussed at all uh, too, which is buying a board ape at $90,000 might have just been way too much money for a board ape forevermore. We're like up to like half a million dollars, dude. Or half, yeah, half yeah. a million dollars. And, and at that point, right, if that is the market top and it never comes back, then you have no choice but to alienate your entire client base, not because of anything you did, but because they overvalued your asset, right? They paid way too much money. It's their, it's everyone, individual's fault who paid this much for a PFP who just like aped in so as not to lose future value. These companies, I, I, you know, I, I don't think they're evil. I don't think they're bad. They're just like, they have their backs against the wall to some extent. What can you do when you have no choice but to either, when you have no choice but to make your holder base hate you because you can't, there's, you, you would have to change the world's market in order to reclaim the price that a lot of these assets initially went for. Um, any last thoughts before that? I want to move on to other uh so some other PFP yeah projects. i don't know i was what, what what came into my mind was like you know kind of what artifact did in trying to be like the the supreme of web3 but how like tangible supreme is because you kind of like see the people in line and the distribution mechanic is is very easy so there's a hype into that unto itself like when when a web3 company fumbles the bag is there ever recovery right so pixelmon you know whatever they raise 90 million dollars gone right like stolen assets you know they left us with that wonderful forever meme of like kevin in that sad you know whatever that thing was and the sad monkey in the grass and that shout out kevin dude but like the the web3 culture is just like fumbling the bag that's it right and all of these people that are out there like building and executing especially like on the art side there, there's no attention so it's it's so mismatched and just a mess right I, it kind of takes me back to the tweet of that guy who said like hot take the market is rational and getting and your art is getting all the attention you deserve and like you know at the museum we flipped it the market is of course it's wildly irrational because people can't access this thing and like 
all of the money is is just chasing other money in a momentum trade in like a growth momentum trade Mm -hmm. so just as quick as it goes up it's coming down and like as an artist you can't really subject yourself to that because people have seen it before and it'll always be this it's 15 minutes of fame and you're done Mm -hmm. especially on like the centralized entity side you don't get to make it to an expo market and the assets don't come back. So the only thing you can do is like, if you want to be an artist over like a career is to stretch it over the career. Uh, I mean, and just try and figure out like where you want to be and then work backwards on how you're going to get there. Well, this is why I love the idea of like zero one so much, not to like hype you up even more than I usually hype you up, but the idea of making this stuff not exclusive, right. Of challenging the exclusivity model and getting as many people invested in the thing as possible, not through the means of profiteering and airdropping that we've seen so far, but through the means of free uh, distribution of assets, get people who want to care about you, but don't have a financial dollar attached to their care for you, because that's where it gets dangerous. Again, if you know the secondary markets kind of screwed a lot of this up, Board Apes, I think, minted for super cheap uh, when they first came out. It's not the original Board Ape holders that I think are the people who are rebelling. It's the people who came in way later, who are trying to capitalize on value and then had to, you know, make ten percent above the five figure, six figure. It's the traders. It's the poker players. It's the people who are going to like hear about high stakes gambling, risk reward thing, and put like money in that for sure you know, we're way over their skis because they didn't understand it. You see those people just dropping in droves. So a couple other PFP projects that we should probably mention. There's Doodles, which uh, disavowed the entire Web3 ecosystem by saying, we don't want to be an NFT company. That some felt like yeah. a weird decision. Yeah, I think it was, the, it was the Doodles founder who like wrote in the Discord, like floor it and get the fuck out. <laughs> like when somebody was complaining about the direction of Doodles, he's like, floor it and, and get out of here. We don't want you. It's like, damn. That's like Kevin Rose saying he's tired of building in public in a Discord channel after raising 150 million. People are like, you don't really get to make that decision now. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, so that's Doodles, which is an NFT company that doesn't think it's an NFT company. There's Pudgy Penguins. They're apparently a stuffed animal company right now, which honestly, not a terrible the best model. Not a terrible business model. Probably the best model out there. If, yeah. you, if you can make a really good stuffed animal, guess what? There's a market for that. And people will actually give a shit about it. They can get in at a price yeah. that isn't five figures. And they can form a real connection to your asset beyond its dollar figure. Um, what's yeah. that? What's the uh, the plushie company that makes the big round? Oh, I don't know. Those are cute. People. Yeah, everybody things. always has them. Yeah, cute. they look like Pashina yeah. and they're really great. So good luck to Pudgy yeah. Penguins. I think, I hope they successfully pivoted. <laughs> but also they had to basically pivot into a different, ecosystem altogether in order to survive i mean people were excited about the mfers flags at lowe's that was a a, a wonderfully notorious rug by sartoshi mm, mfers but i don't know people have kind of taken that on and that's a product in a major market retail store mm. but keep going you would yeah yeah uh i mean we have clonex that like you said uh, artifact wants to be the supreme of nfts uh one thing that clonex and artifact have going for them is that they are a lot closer to lvmh than yuga labs is because they are a like a small part of now a larger nike business model so they don't have to justify their own existence entirely themselves they can be 
kind of innovating within this space and experimenting because they're, you know, it's not awesome that they are, uh, what's the word, penetrator into the NFT market from this larger brand, but that's also like a sustainable model for them to do things that are intelligent as opposed to just needing to make as much money as possible all the time. I wrote down World of Women. Um, and after I said, I mean, what even was this? Uh, because I think that that hasn't aged well, just a PFP project that's entire business model was like women should buy this. Um, that feels weird in hindsight. Maybe it's not for me to say, but I just, that doesn't seem sustainable. I have no comment either. Uh, okay. So that's sort of women. And then, um, then we have like what you said before with um, dead fellows by Betty and cryptos by Gremlin, um, alien friends, which were at least a little bit more like, and maybe this was because they never achieved that like super high price point, but they were, uh, they don't have, as far as I know, like roadmaps and things. Um, I know that they like also, I, like Deadfellows did like a, a dilution drop model. But uh, maybe again, it, maybe it's just my perception of the thing. Maybe it's just that like, because they never achieved those heights and because you never had these rabid communities saying, no, 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 no. If you don't have this, there's something wrong with you. Maybe I'm a little bit more sympathetic to them. There was a great, it all kind of brings me back. There was a great tweet we had in, in like the beginning of when this was happening that was completely made up. It was like, there's a thousand, 10,000 NFT projects being released every week. You know, if this continues for 52 years, then there's going to be like a PFP for every person in the world by the end of the year, right? So the problem was, is that the same people were just pile trading into the same things, right? Because there only are so many wallets. And then it's like, you kind of, you really only get one PFP, right? Or you're just a trader. So, you know, at the end of the day, what are you actually going to feel good, like rocking, yeah. if anything, you know, is, is it going to have staying power for me? Like things I can still respect and like are punks. It's nouns. I have a soft spot for cryptos. It's pretty much like all of these things that promise nothing that we're from people that never had this centralized crazy marketing that do these big like whatever hype promotion videos that have all these bots attached to their things so they can game the twitter algorithm when when like the marketing went crazy everything was fucked i think there was a reason that vitalik never like endorsed nfts on the ethereum network and at first i i just thought it wasn't he just didn't understand culture but i don't think these things should live here right? Economically, it doesn't make sense to be like paying transactions all the time, paying all this gas to like list something, sell something. It, it, it doesn't make sense, right? And I think over time, all of this is going to, to migrate to other chains. Ethereum, as it grows, is going to be like a financial settlement layer for some of the most important stuff in the world it's not going to be just a bunch of dgen speculating on these things right and everybody might have a pfp that associates them with a community and a tribe because that does make sense and that is very like in our evolutionary path and i think we will have like personal identities and online identities and twitter has always been that place somebody asked this question but twitter's always been that place where crypto people can go and still build a brand around remaining anonymous, mm -hmm. right? So if there is tie into like what you own, but it, it, this, this feels very 
first. Gen. Yeah, but I, I, I want to just stop real quick to, to mention something about the anonymous, right? When your PFP becomes integral with your online persona, you're no longer anonymous. You just have a second identity, right? Sure. So fair. like take uh, any of these famous punks or any of these famous board apes um, that they can't sell that board ape without severely harming their brand because people recognize them by that photo or by that image. And when it comes to like digital identity, right? I think a lot of people are always thinking that this digital identity is going to extend into the metaverse, but there's a lot better digital metaverse assets out there. If people are interested in that PFPs do not just port easily into the metaverse. And also I'm not sure that these PFPs are like, if these brands are, if it makes sense to rock them in a, like if you go into the metaverse now, these things have different meanings. It's not PFP people who hang out in the metaverse. It's, you know, like Vipe. Um, who dropped Vipe? Was Vipe the company that dropped those heroes the other day? Or Polygonal. Polygonal, Polygonal yeah, Polygonal Mines. Mines. Sorry, Polygonal Mines dropped the Vipes the other day. And like, those are the people who are in the metaverse now, who spend time in this space, are people who are going to be like, oh, I want something by Polygonal Mines. Nobody is going to want a Yuga Labs asset in the metaverse today because the people who populate the metaverse today don't think Yuga Labs is cool. Where Yuga Labs is cool is on Twitter. So it's great that that PFP has value in a digital sphere, but it doesn't have value in every digital sphere. It has value in one. And these digital spheres are not integrated enough where you can have the same identity in all of them. The same things that are cool on Instagram are not cool on Twitter. And the same things that are cool on Twitter are not cool in the metaverse. And the same, same things that are cool in Fortnite are not cool in you know, Call of Duty Warzone. So this idea that you're going to want to rock these PFPs in any form, in any digital space is ridiculous because it's assuming that there's going to be one unified digital culture, which if we've seen any, like none of these places have unified digital cultures. There's like, even these P- PFP projects don't have unified digital cultures because you have people arguing that theirs is better than the other ones. Like the, the mutant apes are better than the board apes. And the, like it's, it's all fractured. It's all schism. So the idea that you're going to want to rock this in every place, and that's the value is built on shoddy foundations to begin with. Um, so any, any other thoughts before, uh, you know, we kind of get up and out of here because that was a, an hour long vent sesh. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a million thoughts i find it endlessly fascinating i think you're absolutely right um i don't know man i don't know then listen i'm no i'm no economics professor i uh i'm happy to to accept an l on any of these points if people don't agree with them but you know what i you know what i did want to address really quick and these are i think we're just like cool two two cool moments in history and goes back to what you say about like people building brands around these assets and people actually having the desire to build brands around the assets is i think that the only reason crypto punks probably still have that prestige in my mind is because like danny c phrase is still out there trying to go build like a billion dollar brand around like the seven trade punk right and like Richard got like a $6 million offer on his punk and said, no way. Right. And Claire Silver's out there. And these people are like in there, they're committed. This will be them always. Um, you know, I never personally like felt good rocking the crypto punk thing. Uh, but that's cool too, you know, but I think these people, like these people are in, you know, I I think about like other people who have like this Jimmy still rock a punk Jimmy East. 
I don't know, you know, and the other guy like Franklin is bored, Rex. Like, I don't know if, I don't know if, anyways. It's a good point. Right? Like everybody is, is kind of pulling away from that identity and there's not so much commitment and formation around it. And first mover advantage is also important and only crypto punks can ever yeah. be first. And that's just the name yeah. of the game. Uh, for better or for worse. You got, you got spotty Wi-Fi. That guy, you know, is going and rapping about CryptoPunks. I thought you were uh, uh, coming at my spotty Wi-Fi no. today. <laughs> no. But that's pretty funny. I don't know. We should do another podcast on just punks. It's it's that's a fascinating podcast or a fascinating topic. It's just like the yeah. We can we we can get Noah Davis in here and talk with him. Do you know anything about? Didn't that isn't Yuga releasing like a book about the history of punks? And they were like, this is the first history of uh, punks book, and it's just like definitely. I heard that. Was it Sharon reached out to me and told me that yesterday? It's like Red Lion Eth or something like that. Red Lion, someone or other. He had written a or Red Lions. Red Lion cool. had written a book about punks, and then Yuga Labs is just like. That didn't happen. We're releasing the first oh, book on punks, which is yeah, of course. classic. Right. Well, anyways, we've uh, beaten this dead horse uh, even further to death. Um, let's get out of here. Uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm sure you. we'll be able to talk more about uh, our disdain for PFP projects in the future, but let's leave it alone for now and um, let the debt who did, let who, the dead rest. Who did yours? Who did mine? Yeah. Um, NTXOO on Twitter. She's awesome. I did a little writing work for her. She dropped a, an async blueprint project ages ago. And um, nice. And she was like, let me draw you a, a profile picture. And I was like, that would cool. be super. Let's talk about the fundraiser real quick. We have 393 artist submissions. They're insane. Uh, I get lost scrolling through them. I have promised not to say the artist in it. Let's get to 420. There's two days left. So please send in your submissions and we're going to make the world's largest collaborative, inclusive artwork. Everybody can participate and we would love to. And what's the website, Colborn, that people can go to and check this out? Boom. Fundraiser. F-U-N-D-R-A-I-S-E-R dot museumofcryptoart.com. That's pretty good. That's it. That was dangerous attempting to spell it. I think I nailed it. Anyways, that's uh, also Tori Hong is who uh, made my uh, profile picture. That's at NTXOO art. So you should check Tori out. Um, anyways, let's get out of here. Thank you everyone for being with us today. This has been another fun filled edition of the Mocha Live podcast. We'll be back next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. So please join us then. Colborne, say goodbye to the people. Bye. People. Bye. Bye.